Let's take our Bibles, please, and let's go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, we're going to chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23, I am sad about this message and brokenhearted because the title of the message is David's Last Words, which means this is the end of this series. I have thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the series on David that we started back at the end of June, and we've been covering Sunday after Sunday going through it. And I I don't know about you, I've been thoroughly challenged and blessed by the life of this great man. And this morning we want to talk about his last words that he's going to give. And last words are usually considered to be pretty important. Sometimes they're kind of goofy. Oscar Wilde was dying in a hotel room there in New York City. In his final words, he was looking around the room and he said, either that wallpaper goes or I go. He went, okay? Then there's one that I'm sure every one of you would recognize this one. Who said this? A life is like a garden, perfect moments that can be had but not preserved, except in memory. Live long and prosper. Anybody know who would have said that? Leonard Nimoy. Who was Spock? Those were his final words. In history, there's a book that's called The Last Words of Sinners and Saints by Herbert Lockyer. And some of the comments that are made by people from years gone by, it's kind of interesting. This, uh, this is from a, uh, a sultan that ruled over the area of Spain when I was under uh, some of the rule of the Muslims during that period of time. And so he says this to his son. Fifty years have passed since I became the sultan. Riches, honor, pleasures. I've enjoyed them all. But in this long time of seeming happiness, I have counted the number of days that I have truly been happy, and they have numbered only 14 in 50 years. This fellow, the Philip, king of Spain, he said this, How happy I would have been to spend the last 23 years that I have served in king, as king in retirement instead. This individual, his name is Ramon Narvaz. He says when the confessor was in urging him to forgive his enemies, he said, I don't have any enemies. I shot them all. <laughs> king Louis XIV was saying to his son before he died, Interesting words. My son, I might have lived a better life. Profit from my errors and always remember this. Kings die like everyone else. Very true. Very true. Famous last words. But this morning we're talking about the last words of David. Now, just remind ourselves, David is called a man after God's own heart. David was an individual who was very godly. We've looked at his godliness, that he had a deep love for the Word of God. That's apparent when you read the Psalms like Psalm 119. He had a brokenness over sin. When he committed adultery, which was wrong, and that was a blemish in his life, we don't excuse that, he repented when he was confronted, when he numbered the people. And, uh, and brought that plague upon Israel. He repented when he was confronted. And he mourned over sin, like Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn over sin, for they shall be comforted. That was David. That was a description. That was evidence of his having a heart after God. He had a real dedication for godly worship. He went out of his way to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He went out of his way of making all the preparations, as we talked about the last couple weeks, getting the property, then making preparations for the temple that was going to be the place of worship throughout the rest of the Old Testament, except for those 70 years in captivity. He had a heart for God, for people to recognize and learn about God. Just definitely, this is a man after God's own heart. When you look at his final words in in 2 Samuel 23, starting with the first few verses, 1 through 7, It is really apparent he loves the Lord. He really loves the Lord. 
Now, what's ironic about it, and some of you already caught it, some of you are kind of confused. In first, uh, 2 Samuel 23, it starts off, these are the last words of David. But over the last few weeks, we've talked about events that happen in the rest of chapter 23, and David talks. We read in chapter 24, some more events, and David talks. How is it that it says in chapter 23, these are the last words of David, and yet there's things to follow? It is interesting to note that in the story that we've been covering from second, from 1 Samuel and David's life from about chapter 12 all the way to these chapters, everything has been in chronological order. It's been events recorded in the historical order until we come to this section. This section has events that happen in his latter years, but they're not in chronological order. We've covered them already. But it's interesting, and you say, why did the author change from being very careful, putting everything in historical order, and then he mixes it up. Because it's a literary device to catch your, yours and mine attention. You know, let me see if I can illustrate this way. If you were to take a piece of paper and you were to say, okay, let's break this down by paragraph, you would notice something very, very interesting, the way it's done. You would notice that in this section, there's a paragraph about a national calamity about that whole situation where there was a, a famine that struck the land. And then you would go to the very end, and at the very end, it ends with a national calamity where the plagues strike. Both of those calamities were instigated by a king's failure. But there's two national calamities. Then if you worked your way to the next paragraph at the beginning of this section, you would find that he talks about wars and warriors. And if you would come... From the end of the book this way, you would find that the next paragraph is about wars and warriors. And then if you come to the next section, coming this way, you would know that there's a psalm. Chapter 22 is an entire psalm. And right next to it follows another seven verses of a psalm. That is what we call a chiasm. A chiasm that the Hebrews often wrote was a literary device that was like bringing arrows to point to something very important in the middle. If, if we were to do gold medals and give them out, we would say, hey, the things that happened on the outside, that was worth the bronze medal. The things that David did on the inside, they were worth the silver medal. But this very middle section, these two Psalms, they're the gold medal. They describe for us David's most focused area of his life, which we put it up this way. David, it's saying at the end of his life, David was all about exalting God. That was his primary concern in life. National events, yes, and he did a good job. Wars and fighting them, yes, but his greatest concern as a man after God's own heart is pointed in this text to say it's about praising God, about bringing glory to God. One of our men was sharing with me just this last week or so about an event that they were going around the workplace. And in that workplace, they were saying, what is, your, what is everything you base your life on? And some of the employees were like, I base my life on toleration. And the others were like, ooh, that's so nice. Then it went around the room and then somebody says, well, I base my, my life on respect and loving one another. Ooh. That is so nice. Ah, oh, ooh. They came to the fellow from our congregation and they said, What is your most important basis of how you operate? To bring glory to God. There was not an ooh or an ah. 
there was just the moment the, he said the, the leader of the group went, I beg your pardon? Bring glory to God. Next. Okay. That's the way the world is, right? Okay. In, way, in the sh- sad things, sometimes that's the way even believers can get. They lose out on bringing glory to God. And so David in this passage, which is a really interesting passage, and I need, to, I need to give you a little bit of background of chapter 22 and 23. We're not looking at it all. We're just looking at 23. There are two psalms. And if you look at the two psalms, we already read parts of it. One of them is written early in David's career. Chapter 22, remember how it, how it started off? It said this is what David wrote when he was being chased by Saul. That's early in David's career. And they're both psalms. Psalms are praise songs. We understand that. You all know that. And that the other one is written at the end of his life. And so it's written after he's all done with all of his things. It's his final words, that is the passage says. And so in those final words, and I don't think, personally, these are his last, last, very last words, because we looked at last Sunday night, his very last words were to Solomon right before he passed away. But this is clearly his last published words in a broadcasting sense to the people that he's speaking to. And so when he gives these last words, what's really interesting is the two Psalms that form this bookends to the centerpiece of his life, they're about 50, 50 years apart. But what it's demonstrating is this was his whole life. All through his life, it was about giving praise to God, giving praise to God, that he wrote these psalms and he concludes. So again, we're right back to this point. David's major focus was about bringing glory to God, about doing all things, whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. His, his, whole, his whole purpose was, you know, that we exist for one, this one thing, one thing, to bring pleasure to God, to bring glory to God. And so as we go through the text... Let's look at it this way. In these first seven verses, that's all we're looking at in chapter 23. David's very last psalm that he writes towards the very last and a few days of his life. What he says basically is saying, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to praise God. Let me just read this passage and then just make comments. Now, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who raised, uh, raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, he said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The Lord of God of Israel, the rock of Israel, spake to me. He that rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. He shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even the morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and for sure." For this is my salvation and all my desire, although he makes it not to grow. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron and a staff of a spear, and he shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. And I say this, not with disrespect, but I I had an easier understanding of the previous psalm. Psalm 22 made more sense to me. Because there are several statements here that just caused me confusion. But as I laid it out and did some study, here's what I found out of this text. That David was basically giving praise to God because as he's penning his introduction, he's saying, I'm just a common guy. I'm just an ordinary guy. He, he makes it very clear when he says, I'm the son of Jesse. Jesse's going back to his ancestry and he's reminding everybody, 
You know, I wasn't of noble class. Even when the king said, when I was a young boy and I was there at the battlefield and facing Goliath, whose kid is this? Yeah, who, and who's Jesse? Jesse wasn't of a noble family. He wasn't in, I mean, in prominence at that point. And David is just saying, I, I came from a family that was just an ordinary family. I didn't come from some outstanding peoples. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one that had the golden spoon in my mouth. That wasn't who I am. In fact, David makes it very clear that we've already talked about when he and his seven brothers were supposed to be called before Samuel. If you remember all the way back at the beginning, Samuel was going to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be king. They forgot all about David. David, the youngest, was left out in the field watching the sheep as they had all the other boys paraded past. David said, I was a nobody. I was a commoner. I, I, at times, was forgotten about. I worked as a teenager out in the sheep fields. I, I wasn't anything special. And yet he makes it very clear, God promoted me. God, God promoted me. He, he makes these comments. He says, I, who was just a normal person, I was raised up on high. I was elevated. And he says, God picked me. God picked me in the sense that I became the anointed. Very clear, very emphatic. I'm the chosen of God, chosen to be the king. Me, who was, who was just a shepherd boy, me who didn't have any noble blood, God picked me to become the king. Even years before I became the king, Samuel anointed me in, in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. And he says, I don't know why. I'm just a common kid. I'm just a common teen. But God picked me and promoted me. And he says, what God did is God allowed me to become the psalmist. In other words, back in that day, every, everyone in Israel, they would have known about David. He would have won America's, uh, Israel's Got Talent. He would have won it back in that day. And he says that this is, this is, God allowed me, gave me gifts, gave me talents where I could sing lovely psalms. Some, some of your translations, the sweet psalmist, others you have the lovely psalmist. It's the idea that what he sang was just beautiful. What he wrote was just beautiful. And you do, and I agree. Psalm 23, just marvelous. Psalm, 22, uh, Psalm 18, which is 2 Samuel 22. Beautiful, marvelous, uplifting, that we read when we're going through trials. Sweet psalmist. He says, I who was a nobody, God allowed me to become a king. God allowed me to, he promoted me to become a psalmist. God promoted me to the point where I became a prophet. It, it's interesting how he says it in verse 2, that he says, he spake to me and his word was in me. He spake by me. In other words, God not only gave me, but he used me where I was giving out scripture. By the way, as you just go through this section where he talks about the Spirit of the Lord, capital letters Yahweh, spake by me or to me. He makes comment, the God of Israel said, he's very clear talking that he received direct revelation from God. But he makes the comment, he says, you've got the Spirit of the Lord, you've got the God of Israel speaking to me, and then he says, thirdly, the rock of Israel spoke to me. What do you see in that? What do you see? The Spirit of the Lord, the God of Israel and the rock. What, what stands out? The Trinity. It, it's, just, it's just a very clear evidence that he's talking about. He understands there's a Trinitarian concept. That there's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Not in the same order that I just said it, but he identifies them. 
And he says, they all minister to me. In other words, he's saying, sometimes God spoke indirectly to me. The prophets came. The, the same way God speaks to you with his word, indirectly. Okay, and David said, it happened to me. I'm a kid. I'm a normal kid. I'm just out on the sheep fields. But God spoke to me. And, and then he says, and there was times that God spoke through me that I was able to write down songs that were inspired by God. Psalm 23, for example. This psalm that he's writing, that God led me. He put words in my mouth, and then he directed as I was writing them down. We talked about this last week. God gave him exactly what the temple was supposed to be, how big the building was, and he wrote down all the blueprints that he gave to Solomon. Every little thing. Remember, even how much each one of the items were to be covered with gold, he had it all down. So God, God spoke to him like a prophet, where all of a sudden he got the message, or somebody came and taught, but then he, as a prophet, makes multiple prophecies. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're not going to get this fast enough, but every one of those psalms, everyone contains prophecies about Jesus Christ. They contain such things as, a friend will betray me. They contain such things as, he's going to be crucified between thieves. They contain such things as a friend will turn against me. They contain such things as that my bones will not be broken. He made multiple prophecies about Jesus Christ, like a prophet. But then as well, like a prophet, he did what preachers do. And that's a sense of a prophet declaring God's word in the Old Testament sense. So in every aspect, David was a full prophet. Getting revelation, speaking it out, hearing it, delivering it, commenting on it. So he says, this is where I was. I started as a teenager and I was a nobody, but I became king. I became a prophet. Those are high offices for a Jewish lad. So he's commenting, he says, I praise God because what God did through my life, how God blessed me when I didn't deserve it. But then he goes on, he says, and I was prospered by God. Not only was I promoted in that picking, God picking me, but I prospered. And he makes the comment in this passage. He says, rulers are supposed to be people who are just. Rulers of people are supposed to be people that we look up to in character and example. That's the Bible's concept of civil leaders. Civil leaders are to be serving who? Okay, God first, and the people. Who are they not to put first? Themselves. Okay, and so he's making it very clear. He says, kings like me, we're supposed to be just. By the way, does, doesn't that speak volumes of a humble spirit? Most political leaders, do they portray humility or pride? Pride. Okay, and David's making it very clear. He says, even though I have this most exalted position, I was under another authority, a greater authority. I wasn't supposed to be doing what I wanted. I was supposed to be doing what he wanted. And so David's making it very clear. And for the most part, did David do what God wanted? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. The bulk of his life, we highlight at times two, three different areas where he blew it. And yet, over a 55-year span, most of his life was spent in dedication to the Lord. It doesn't, it doesn't mean we ignore where he blew it. But the bulk of his life, he was dedicated. And, and quite frankly, when I look at David and I go, man, over a 55-year career, if there was only one or two blemishes on my life, I would be happy. 
Because in my life, the blemishes outweigh the prosperity of following the Lord, the battles and the struggles. But David is saying, hey, listen, he says, God prospered me. And that's the idea that he talks about in the next verse where he says, he says, the king who rules this way, he is like the morning dawn, where it talks about the sun coming up. Okay, the sun comes up from the east. If you've been up all night, okay, what is the rising of... (laughs) I'm thinking positively here. What does the rising of the sun do for you? Does it help you? Okay, is it encouraging? So when we would do these trips, we would go back and forth when we were in Minnesota. We'd load up the kids after church on Sunday evening. We would drive to Minnesota. And what we would do is we would encourage the kids to go to sleep and sleep all night with NyQuil or other things. Um, and so we would drive, and, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, we're headed that way or coming back this way. And for me, about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, because Deb would always say, if you want me to drive, if you want me to drive, about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, I wanted her to drive because I was really tired. And she would always say, I'm tired at three or four in the morning too. I would have driven earlier, but then it would always happen. Okay, we would stop, we would park. And when the vehicle stopped, the kids would wake up. And say, oh my word, give them more NyQuil. I'm joking about that. If you're turning me into the authorities, I'm joking. Okay. Aren't I? <laughs> but it would never, it would, it, would, it would happen. All of a sudden we're driving and it's like, oh, yeah. Any of you do this? You open the windows, stick your head out. I couldn't afford much. Okay, I stick my head out the window, slap your face, and then the dawn would come. And the dawn was, it was energizing. It was better than Mountain Dew. I mean, it was better than, than one of those, you know, those drinks it would just refresh, and it would give new hope. And he's talking in the sense, he says, that's what king, a good king does. The good king refreshes. He encourages people. And he's like, all of a sudden, he says, it's like after a wonderful rain, the wonderful rain that comes, and you walk out, and everything smells fresh. He says, that's what a king is like. And he will help things to grow, and they will grow. Was David that type of king for the most part? Yeah, he really was. He's called at times. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. His friends say, David, you've got to stop going out to war because you're the dawn, the light, uses the same word here, the dawning of Israel. That idea of you're the refreshing, you're the comforting, you're the encouraging one. They talk about it where, where David, you know, is that idea that we need you. You are worth more than 10,000 of us. So God prospered David. In what David understood a king is supposed to be, first and foremost, the king was supposed to focus on acting just and righteously before God. David says, God prospered before that. By, you know, and we know the same thing is true. We know if we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to us. We understand that. We understand. So here you've got David saying, I was a nobody, but God blessed me. I, I, I wasn't much of anything. Can you relate to any of this? Can you relate when you say, hey, yeah, here, here, here's David's comments. He wasn't special. God blessed him. He didn't deserve what God gave him. 
He even says that where he said, who am I to marry into Saul's family? When they said, you killed Goliath, you, you get one of the daughters. But who am I? And he talks about how it was God that made me king. That's what he's implying here. He said, I didn't make myself king. God elevated me. God lifted me up. He's making it clear that I had responsibilities. Even though I had blessings of God, I had my part to do. And as I did my part, God made me successful. And it was God that made me successful as I was faithful to him. And he says, God used me to minister, to give out the word. I am blessed beyond measure. Can you relate? When you look at your own life, the bulk of us sitting here, we didn't come from prominence. Most of us, we didn't come from established places where we were royalty in American society where we were really fantastic and phenomenal. And at our birth, most of us didn't have thousands of people gathering outside our door wondering, you know, what the gender was. That wasn't most of us. Most of us, we've come out of obscurity. Most of us, we're just, we're just common people. Most of us sitting here, we don't have all kinds of gifts. We don't have all kinds of talents. We don't even have all kinds of, you know, millions and billions of followers on the internet. Well, maybe a couple of you do, but most of us don't. Most of us, we're just, we're us. We're just normal people trying to go through a normal life. But has God blessed us? Has God prospered? Has God used you? Has God exalted you, lifted you up to a place where you are a priest, a prophet, a royal member of God's family? That's grace. That's grace. And David says, I am so thrilled by what God has done. But then he gives another thought. He adds one more here, another P. God gave him a promise. God gave him a promise. He's referring to what God gave him back, and we've already looked at it in, in 1 Samuel, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 7. When David was wanting to build a temple, God said... No, you're not building the temple because you're a man of war. I want a man of peace to build the temple. But I will bless you and I will use you. And he gives what we know in the Old Testament as called the Davidic covenant. He made a covenant with David that he says, I am going to bless your household forever. Your children and your children's children and your children's children. And in that covenant, he said, your family will rule. And he talked about how there are going to be kings on the throne. But he was pointing all the way way down. He says, and David, from your family, from your family in particular, I'm going to send Messiah. We know him as Jesus. I'm going to send the one, the greatest of all people. He's going to come out of your loins, your lineage. He's going to be a descendant of yours. And what greater thrill for a Jewish family than to know that they were the direct ancestor of Messiah. And David hears this and he says, and his house is going to rule forever over everything. And he's going to be the ruler. And I'm going to bless you in in the sense that this this promise of your, your descendant going to be ruling forever, it is ordered. As he said in this verse, he says, it is ordered, it is established, it is determined. It isn't just maybe I'll work it out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring Jesus Christ from your family, in your descendants. It is absolutely sure. I promise this because I'm God and I never, I never make a promise I won't keep. 
And so at the conclusion, he says, David says, this is my salvation. This is my hope. That God has covenanted with me. That as I put faith in him and believe in him, he is going to not only bless me, but he's going to bring a child out of my lineage who is going to be the Messiah. And this Messiah is going to be my Savior. The one who will provide forgiveness for me, which gives me my salvation, my hope that I will be in heaven. That I'll be with God for eternity. Not only then will I have blessings in this life, but I'm going to have blessings once I'm in heaven. They're going to last forever. He says, God made this promise with me. God told me this personally. That the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come from my family. And he's going to be the one that will save me. Like Mary said of Jesus. Mary, the mother who birthed him. What did she call him? My Lord and my Savior. She needed one. We all need a Savior. Because all have sin and come short of the, the standard of God. The glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. We all need a Savior. The Savior is not baptism. The Savior is not a church. The Savior is not a preacher. It's not what money we give. It's not how good looking, but some of us are really in trouble. It's, it's not about our education. The Savior is a person. He is the one, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by him, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And he says, that's the promise that God gave me. And I am so excited. And he's going to fulfill all my desires. And David's response is, wow, this is phenomenal. Now, by the way, there's a little section in this, in this verse, in the verse 5, that kind of throws a lot of us. And by the way, if I were to, and I read it out loud, and some of you, your, your translation was real different than mine. Okay, yours reads different. And it's because in the Hebrew, it's not certain or clear what it means or how it's supposed to be. You see, in the Hebrew, they didn't have um, punctuation points. They, you didn't know if it ended with a period or a question mark. You had to figure it out. So some of those who translated our Bibles think it's a statement. Some of your translations think it's a question. Like this. Okay, let me see if I can give you what we're talking about. Although my house was not all it should be, that's one possibility. I paraphrased it. Okay. Although my house is not all that it should be. In other words, David's saying, God gave me this promise even though I was flawed. I had sinned. God made a promise with my house. And he talks about that idea that although he wasn't able to make it grow as much as it could, my sons, in other words, my sons, they weren't all as faithful as what I wanted them to be. There was the Absalom. There was the Adonijah. There was the... Um, um, Amnon, there was all, several of my sons died. And so my family, my immediate family, didn't prosper as much as I'd hoped it would. Is that what he's saying? And, and, and the thought is, even though I wasn't everything I should be, even though my kids weren't everything they should be, God gave us a covenant and it's surely going to come to pass. Even though God, even though I have not been as faithful to the Lord since I got saved when I was 16, God gave me salvation. God is still preparing a home for me in heaven, even though I've, I've blown it at times. Is that what David is saying? Or is David saying this, and it's a question. Is David saying, we'll start this way, is it not so with my house with God? Emphasizing that this is a surety, this is a certainty. 
And so the negative forms a question, a positive response. Isn't my house with God this way? That God gave us this covenant? That he made everlasting? Does he not make it to grow? Question mark, emphasizing that he is going to prosper the house. I'm going to tell you honestly, I don't know which one it is. From my inability with Hebrew, from studying a whole bunch of others, I don't know which one it is. I don't know if this translation I'm using or the one you're using, which one it is. And frankly, it really doesn't make any difference because the conclusion is still the same. Whether it's a statement or whether it is a question, he is ending up at the same place. God gave me a sure promise. God gave, God had did something for me that I didn't deserve. And it is as sure as anything in all eternity. God is going to bless my family, my household. He's going to bring Messiah, and I'm going to one day end up in heaven. Not because of me, but because of the Savior. And so he gives all this praise. He gives all this blessing. And he says, and one thing else I'm sure, those sons of Belial... The wicked men, those who do their own things, they're going to be cut off. They're not going to be in this, in this eternal blessing. And isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Jesus said when many people come running up to him and they say, did not we do this? Did not we do this? Did not we do this in your name? And he will say to them in that day, depart from me, ye workers of... The word means those who do their own thing. And he's talking, he's saying that includes preachers. Because he says, have not we prophesied? Have not we cast out demons in thy name? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You who do your own thing. That you're not following my word. You're doing religious things based on tradition. Based upon what you think. Not based upon what I say. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You didn't establish a personal relationship with me. You were all about church. You were all about money. You were all about looking good on the outside. But you never asked me for personal forgiveness for your sins and for me to give you the gift of eternal life. And so the bottom line is, you, know, you, look, you look at this and say, this is amazing. This is amazing. David is praising God and he's saying, I'm giving you praise for the salvation that you've given me. For the promise of eternal life with you. That's enough for all of us to praise. That God has given to us. But not only is he giving praise, but David wrote down songs. Thank you songs to God. Why don't you do that this week? Why don't you write a psalm? Don't worry about putting it to music. Just write a psalm, a poetry, a thank you note to God for the blessings he has given you. Has he given you any? Give him a note. Give him the worship, like you did this morning. Like you did last week and the week before, when you gathered and your, your worship, your singing was growing in the services. That we rejoice and we praise God. And David's saying, wow, just because of that promise that you've given me, but then you and I can add on to it. Hey, God's picked us to serve in some way. God has prospered our service. God has promoted us. God has given us many other promises. Truly, he deserves our worship and praise. And I look at it and I come to this conclusion that if there's somebody here this morning who has never yet become a real believer in Jesus, I, I know you, you know Jesus up here, but you have never asked him to be your savior. It, it's kind of like, I know that chair can hold me up. 
I can describe the chair because it's got four legs and it'll hold me up. But real faith, real understanding is not knowing about the chair. Real belief is what? It's sitting in the chair and resting in it completely. That's faith in Christ. If you have never done it, let me encourage you. The peace, the, peace, the promises that God gives... The, the blessings that he will give, it's worth repenting of your sin. Asking him to give you eternal life, to believe on him. But before I close, let me add something. Okay. There is a dual aspect of these seven verses. There is another possibility. Not only will I praise God, but is David pointing to Jesus in a very subtle secondary fashion? Maybe it's the primary fashion. You see, there's times in scriptures that, G, that, that David prophesied about Jesus. Was this passage one of the Psalms that Jesus was talking about when he was on the road to Emmaus and said, it all points to me? Was David in this possibility, David who is a parallel character, he is a symbol at times of Jesus, king, prophet like Jesus was, coming from a humble background and being elevated like Jesus did. Is David, is he saying, I'm not only talking about me, but I'm talking about the future king. In the sense that when he does this, he's pointing to Jesus as saying, he is the one who is going to rule. Where he talks about in the, in the verse where he makes the comment, he that rules over mankind is the idea. He that rules over... Is he talking about Jesus, who is the just one, who will rule by following all that his father has told, told him? Is he talking about Jesus when he says he is going to be the renewer, the refresher of the world? When he talks about if there's a righteous king, a just king, which, by the way, we know. Will Jesus rule one day? Yes. And when he rules, will the world be renewed and refreshed? Yes, will the world be prosperous? Will everything be like the rising dawn? Will everything be like the watering after a rainfall? Oh, in Jesus' day, everything will be refreshing when he's ruling the earth. And quite frankly, I wish he would come soon to start the rule. I wish, no offense to anybody in, in Washington, D.C., but I would gladly vote for Jesus over them. Okay? And it would be wonderful. It would be wonderful. And when Jesus comes... And by the way, Jesus is called the dawn of Israel. By Zacharias, when Zacharias sees the angel, telling him they're going to birth John the Baptist. He is the dawning of Israel. Jesus frequently is called the light of this world throughout the Johannine writings. And truly, it is true that Jesus will judge the wicked of Belial. The ones that no man can lay hands on right now. Because right now it seems like the wicked prosper. Does it seem that way to anybody else? That the wicked prosper and will it ever slow down? Jesus is going to be putting the one to put his hands on them. When he comes back, he will make things right. And so what happens here is he's going to eventually judge. And so this whole passage, is it about Jesus? Is it a, a picture and David's going, he's the one. And I'm praising and I'm prophesying at this moment 
that he's the just one. He is the ruler. He is the refresher. Another reason, another reason for you to come to Christ. Because if you come to Christ in repentance and ask him to be your savior, there is therefore now no condemnation. It is a sure thing that we're going to be in heaven one day, not because of us, but because of Jesus. So it's a wonderful passage. This man after God's own heart, he, you know, why, is it, why does God call him that? Because God says this is what he was all about. The, ba- the most important things in his life wasn't a hobby, wasn't sports, music was there, but it wasn't about making money and administrating. The most important things in his life was praising God and pointing others to Christ. What about you? What about you? What's the most important thing in life? That's what we have in this story. I was reminded how important it is, and I shared on the Facebook devotion about an Eddie Bennett, a story that one of the Bob Jones professors shared with his class time and time again that he put out. And in this story, the professor says when he was a young teen, what happened is there was this guy in town, Eddie Bennett. He had suffered from cerebral palsy. As a young man, he would walk through town with the inability of hardly being able to walk at all, pulling a wagon and going door-to-door selling pencils and pens. And this young man said most people in town, they made fun of Eddie Bennett. They mocked him because of his speech and because of his inability to walk normal. And uh, he said, but us in our church... As a 12-year-old boy, we got the assignment since Eddie came to our church to go and read to him once a week. And the reason we were assigned is his story is because in that day, no public school would have somebody like Eddie in it. There were no special ed classes in that community. Eddie was illiterate. Eddie was considered an imbecile, unteachable. So the Sunday school teacher, preacher, and parents... They would send one boy, one of the 12-year-old boys, every week for one hour to read to Eddie, to read Bible to him. And when they would come, they would get a glass of water. They would read whatever Eddie picked for passages. And they would read straight for an hour, and they'd get a quarter at the end of it. And so this one fellow who's telling the story said um, it would take a little bit effort, a lot of effort from Eddie to tell them where to start reading because his speech was so difficult to understand, type thing. And he said, but Eddie would read. And he said his own experience just challenged him. He said, Eddie became a hero because of what happened. He said, as I would read scripture to Eddie, there's sometimes there was passages I wanted to skip over, where it talked about the children sucking at the paps of a mother. And he thought, as a 12-year-old boy, I don't want to say those words. So I'm going to insert other words. And Eddie would go, read that again. And he said, I would, I would read the way I was trying to get away from this uncomfortable sentence. That's not what it says. And Eddie would quote it by heart. And he said, I was so amazed. This guy is intelligent. And then he came across those passages that I hesitate to even comment here from the pulpit about men urinating against the wall. It doesn't say it that way. And he said, so I would read it and change the wording 
because in the King James it says, they that pisseth against the wall. He says, now that was uncomfortable, so I changed the wording, and Eddie would go, stop. It doesn't say that. And they'd have to reread it. He said, but I was so impacted at the time that I was reading through the first nine chapters of Chronicles, and it's names. It's all those names. That when I read those sections, I go, big name, big name, big name, out loud. And he said, Eddie, can we skip this passage? No. He said, so I labored, trying to say them, all these names after names after names, nine chapters of them, names after names. And he said, I was so focused, I looked up and Eddie was weeping. And I thought, oh, I really slaughtered the names. I really did a bad job. I made him, broke him out in tears. Eddie, what's wrong? God knows every one of them. And God knows Eddie Bennett. In his story, he concluded, he said, I learned how to appreciate God's love a whole lot more. That God cares for me. He said it impacted the way I worshipped after that. That God knows me. God cares for me. God loves me. That should make us break out in song and worship to Jesus Christ. And as we sing this morning in closing, if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, there's going to be people right there at that door, some at our back door. While we sing, feel free to get up and go either there or there and ask if one of those folk can share with you how to know you're going to heaven. And they will share what Jesus has promised you. As we sing, just in closing, in praise, in pointing to Christ.